and welcome to Higher Ed, KUT's podcast focusing on issues of higher education, lifelong learning, and exercising the brain. I'm Jennifer Staten with KUT 90.5, Austin's NPR station, talking as always with Dr. Ed Berger, president of Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. Hello, Ed. Hello, Jennifer. It's so good to have you back on campus. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be back, and I'm happy to be starting up another season of higher ed. It, what season is this for us? Yeah, I knew you were going to ask that, and I don't know. That'll I can't the, remember. That'll no, be the puzzler. I, well, I do remember. So our first episode was in January of 2015. So if you okay. count the season as like a semester, yes. or do you count it as a calendar year or a school year? January of 2015. So that's three. So we're kind of in our fourth-ish season. Yeah, ish. I like that. Okay. Our fourth-ish season. Wow. So, Yeah. So I want to check in with you today. It's sort of, you know, when people get back together at the end of the summer in academia, they often have the, what did you do this summer conversation? Right. Unfortunately for you, one of the things you did this summer is going to be the topic for our discussion today. Oh, great. (laughs) So you had let me know that over the summer you spent actually a lot of your time inside in a studio recording a new series of math videos. That's right. And I'm really curious to hear a lot about the videos, especially about how you may have changed or adapted as time has passed and technology has changed over time because you've done these before. Right. So tell us a little bit about sort of this next new generation of instructional videos. Well, uh, so first of all, you know, I I think I was the first person to actually create this type of video uh, for, for this type of use. This was back in 1997 where the internet wasn't large enough to actually hold me. And so they were actually first, <laughs> they were first put out on, um, on CD-ROMs. And then later, when the, when the internet was big enough to actually hold my personality, uh, they can And the go, size of the files. And the size of the files, both. <laughs> size of my ego and size of files. Uh, and so, so I was literally the first one trying this. And it's interesting, you fast forward now, there are about 4,000 math videos that, I've, that are out there that I've done from kindergarten through calculus too. Uh, this latest project, where the focus is really on personalizing math education, so a very kind of personal, uh, kind of relating to the viewer and to the learner in, in a deeper way, uh, is really different than the previous ones. The previous ones, for example, uh, you would see me writing things, obviously, and and it was and that that evolved over time. First, it was literally a huge pad of paper, an enormous pad of paper. And there was a camera. We called it Camera C. That was an overhead shot. And so you could see my fingers and, and the writing and so forth. As you were doing Correct. math questions or working out exactly. equations. Exactly. That's sort of like the old-fashioned overhead camera or overhead projector, <laughs> projector. in a classroom. It's exactly like that. And, and actually what it really is like is like the new document cameras where you really are capturing both the hands and uh-huh. the, the writing. And then that evolved uh, five years ago when I did my next series where, in fact, we had like a smart tablet. And so there was a smart tablet where they could actually record electronically what I'm doing, but they also had an overhead camera shot, so they get my fingers in there as well. So it was not just the, the writing, you know, electronically, but also. So that was kind of cool because then it introduced color and all sorts of dynamics that we could, we could bring in. This series, which will be, which is for middle school and all of high school through calculus and 
I finished all of middle school. So I, I actually shot this summer 563 videos. Are these, um, oh, sorry, 562. Are these sorry. half an hour, an hour? Do they have a set length or is it just however long it takes however, to convey the lesson? However long it takes. I'd say these are averaging around maybe 11 minutes each. So about 11 minutes. Kind of like the podcast. Exactly. Exactly. But not nearly as entertaining and fun because you're not there. <laughs> uh, but the idea is that uh, instead of relying so heavily on the writing part, there is a real commitment to the post-production. And so the, the new part of this beyond the presentation and the content is the fact that a lot of the stuff is going to be post-produced, which meant that I would just put out my hands in front of you like I'm doing now and just hold equations. And, and they would later be virtually put in. And so there's going to be a lot more interaction between me and the symbols that capture the ideas of mathematics, which is really exciting and very new. And the, the cool thing was that it was new for me, so I got to learn something new. The hard thing is, is that I'm now juggling equations that aren't there. Well, I was just going to say, you know, what it reminds me of is, I don't know who, if everybody saw, you know, Jurassic World December, but when you hear about movie making and, you know, they're not acting, obviously, with the dinosaurs. They, right. Those are, you know, computer generated in later. And right. so the actors are there, but they don't really have the same thing to act off of. And you don't have the, the equations in front of you. And, and much harder than a dinosaur, I would argue, is that I have to lecture backwards. Wait, all right, explain that. Because if I am going to talk about an equation, like 2x plus 1 equals 5, I've got to give it backwards so that when you are looking at it from your vantage point opposite me, it reads from right to left. So everything I was solving was actually reversed. And when I said left, it was really my right. And when I said right, it's like a number line. If I wanted to go negative, I'd have to point in the negative direction, which is really a positive direction as I stand. So everything, and I'm slightly dyslexic, so you can imagine how complicated that was to try to capture but we did it. So I'm curious if you think that each new generation of technology, so the new cameras, the new tablet use, being able to sort of hold, I'm saying that in quotes, the equation, do you think that equals better understanding and learning? Or is it just updated because the technology is available? Well, I think it facilitates uh, that, but it doesn't guarantee that. It depends also on what what the content is and how it's presented. Um, at the end of the day, that's that's where everything is. And and so how you're describing the ideas and how enticing and entertaining can you make the ideas. But the technology allows you to do that in a deeper way. So the thing that I find exciting about this current project is that it, it's going to be um, kind of math videos that really have not existed yet, just like back in 1997 when they genuinely didn't exist. In some sense, this is kind of the next generation um, but at the end of the day, you want to make them enticing and, and alluring. And so therefore, the, the technology is extremely helpful, but the technology alone is not going to do it. You need to still have um, an instructor who can inspire individuals to want to learn it and um, an articulation of the thinking behind it. And again, to me, as with most of my videos, it's not about here's how to do it, just this mimic this. But here's what it means. Here's how to think about it. Here's how I think about it. Here, so many times on these videos, I said, I'm about to make a mistake. The only thing I did that's a little different than my previous 4,000 videos is that I used to make mistakes and the other ones and not tell people. Ah. Now I actually do cue them. I'm saying, I'm about to make a mistake. See if you can figure out where it is. Well, that's great modeling because we've talked about effective failure right. before right. and the importance of 
making a mistake and then processing it and learning from it exactly in, in a meaningful way. And I used to just do that without warning people. And now, and maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe this is a bad idea. Maybe our listeners will write back and say, "Oh, you shouldn't do that." But I do say, "Hey, I'm going to make a mistake. See if you can figure it out." And so I think it all, what it does is it. it forces people to double down and really focus and say, oh, he forgot parentheses or he didn't square that correctly or whatever it is. And I try to make the classic mistakes that that people tend to make. Well, yeah, there's nothing like pointing that out or asking for input to focus attention that way because then people are really kind of looking at a granular level, exactly. I think, to sort of see see how you're doing. For somebody like you who has been a classroom teacher for decades, right? I'm not going to say in decades and decades and decades. You but can. That's has correct, too. a long too. <laughs> time history as a very impactful classroom mm. teacher. Thank you. What is it like for you and how does it impact the way that you convey this information that there aren't students there and you right. don't have students saying, Dr. Berger, wait, can you go back a step? I, I missed something or wait, I think you missed something there. How does that impact how these are created? Thank you. It's interesting. Uh, if we go back in time uh, 21 years ago, back to 97 when I first started this, and again, there was nothing to look at, uh, this was a question. And in fact, the, the first uh, series of videos that I did, uh, which uh, uh, were produced by Thinkwell, a company here in Austin or down the road in Austin, uh, they actually asked this question because they saw me lecture and they said, oh, you, you play off the audience. You like to have a crowd. You know, it's almost like a laugh track, you know, a live. So we, we're thinking about a live studio audience. So we, they were going to actually, and what they were going to do was, was literally pay people, which seems about right. They were going to pay people to listen to me lecture. And I had to go away and think about that for a long time. And I realized that was not what I wanted. Because if you do that, then you as the viewer, you're going to be watching something that it's plainly clear was shot before and you were not in the audience. And so if they laugh or if I'm looking at them and making eye contact with them, uh, you're not part of it. You, it. you can feel excluded. Exactly. And so I decided that the model that I would use, which is I think the model that now the world uses for these type of videos, is I, I thought of it like having an office hour. And in an office hour, just one person sitting across from you and you make eye contact with that person. And so I basically play the whole thing to the camera. And I'm looking right directly at the camera. I don't want to look at other people. And, and I interact that way. Now, you don't get that feedback. But in terms of the question, like, oh, I don't understand, uh, something that I do, even when I'm teaching uh, students in the classroom live, I'm constantly listening to myself. And I listen to myself explain whatever the mathematics is that I'm trying to uh, describe. And I'm hearing if it makes sense to me as someone who doesn't understand it. So I try to divorce myself from my understanding of math and just learn it from what I say. And many times you will hear me in the classroom or even on a video say something like, let me say that another way, or let me, let me re, restate that. And the, and the reason I'm doing that is because I didn't understand what I just said. And so since I didn't understand it, I figured out other people might not as well. And it's almost anticipating what a question might be. Exactly. Sort of putting yourself in the student or the, exactly. the viewer's uh, chair. Exactly. So, all right, I, I'm very excited. It's time for a new puzzler. Mm. What, what do you have? I got a, an interesting one here that Uh-oh. I think you're going to be amused by. Uh-oh. I like amusement, though. So first of all, do you know anything about stamps? You mean stamps such as you put on a letter or pop in the mail? Correct. A little bit, sure. Philately, they call it. That's the, isn't that the study your stamps are collecting exactly. stamps? Exactly. Okay. It's such a great word. That is, it's a tough one to say. It's a tough one to say, but we don't use it enough. Anyway, this one involves stamps, and it actually okay. involves the very, very first 
postage stamp ever introduced. Oh, that's cool. Which was actually in uh, in England on May 1st, 1840. Okay. And it's the famous penny black stamp. Okay. And uh, it, it depicted an image of uh, Queen Victoria. Okay. And it was the very, very first stamp. It, it actually didn't go into use, I think, until May 7th or something, if I remember correctly, 1840. But the, it was the very, very first stamp ever to be uh, used. And what's interesting is that it was only used for one year. Okay. And then it was replaced by what was called the penny red. By the way, this is a one-cent stamp. That's why the penny. Okay. Uh, the penny red. Okay. And the question is, uh, why was it only used for a year before it was replaced by the penny red? Oh. Today, by the way, that stamp is worth thousands of dollars. Oh, I, so if you happen oh, to have I can't one, imagine. So look at yeah. an old, maybe you got an old letter from a friend, and if they have that stamp on it, that's worth. <laughs> Wait a minute, no, eighteen forty. Well, whatever. <laughs> so, so the, the the first the first the, the question is uh, why did it only last a year before it went to what was called uh, penny red? So from penny black to penny red, correct. Okay. And then uh, the bonus question is why do I like this particular? Uh, stamp the penny black. Stamp. Okay, why do you like the penny black? Yes, why oh, do well, I like that? Well, I know the answer to do that you? one okay, already. Well, then, then you want to give it right now, just to prove that well, you're on top of things. It's I a- think it's because of Southwestern University school colors. <laughs> oh. Aren't you black and gold? We are black and gold. Okay, that's what oh, I was that's thinking. that's a good guess. Well, and also, I think as the president of a higher education institution, you would rather be in the black than in the red. <laughs> Okay, those are two answers that are better than the actual answer I was thinking. So we'll go with yours. I'll remember them for next well, week. Well, all that. So in the black, I'm just going to write that them down. That just makes me more curious, though, to hear what you were thinking. And black and gold. That's great. That's great. But anyway, the real question for, for our listeners is uh, why, after a year, did they actually move to the penny red? Oh, I love this one. This is good. I can't yep. wait. Yep. I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking of some possibilities. All right. But, Very good. And so just as we wrap up our discussion, Ed, sure. about your summer project and all the new mm-hmm. math videos, you used a phrase a couple of times that I want to follow up on. And you said, as you were working on this latest round, this next generation, that you needed to make the videos enticing and entertaining. Right. And I'm going to do what you were just describing is I'm going to put myself in the chair of maybe a slightly stodgier, older teacher who might say, enticing and entertaining, Dr. Mm-hmm. Berger, what on earth are you talking about? It, math is not enticing and entertaining. Math is math. And it will always be math. <laughs> so I'm, yeah. I'm, I want to hear you talk a little bit about that idea that these do need to be enticing and entertaining. The sad truth is that there are some educators out there that have that point of view. Some of them aren't as you know, kind of uh, extreme as you're suggesting, but they will say, well, the math kind of sings for itself and you don't have to make it any. And that's just false. I mean, of course, as you know, most people or many people experience math phobia. They don't like math. They hate math. Uh, the truth is that learning in general should be something that's a pleasurable act. And we've talked about this, the idea that learning should be fun and pleasurable so that you want to keep doing it. And the same thing is true with math. Uh, if it's pleasurable, then you're willing or want to keep doing it. And if it's not, then it's it's not. And the truth is that math, when you don't think about it as a, a list of algorithms and processes and procedures that you must follow, but rather as a suite of ideas that can be understood and that you can triumph over it, then in fact, it becomes something intriguing, alluring, and you want to do it. And, and that's what we want for everybody, especially in math. Dr. Ed Berger, thank you for 
intriguing us <laughs> as you do in every episode of Higher Ed. Dr. Ed Berger is president of Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. You can find out more at southwestern.edu. And you can keep up with other episodes of Higher Ed and keep your brain busy by keeping up with the news, all of that at KUT.org. I'm Jennifer Staten, KUT News. Let's get